0: Hello everybody, this is David Goldsmith, and welcome to the Project Moon Hut podcast series, The Age of Infinite. In general, our purpose is to provide the listener, you, with diverse discussions around topics that will help us to create sustainable life on the Moon through the accelerated development of an Earth and space-based ecosystem. And what we expect as a result will alter how we live uh, within Mirth for all species. So today we have an unbelievable guest on the, the line, John Mankins. How are you, John?
1: I am just fine. Nice to be with you, David.
0: Now, he's the president of Mankins Space Technology. He's on the VP of the board of the Moon Village Association, National Space Society Board, former chief technologist at the human, uh, for the human exploration development of space at NASA. And I'm trying to think, think back, John. How long have I known you? Two, three years I, yeah, I'm a couple of years. Not sure. A couple of years. Well, today, uh, our, our topic that we're going to be talking about is powering space. So I'm very excited to hear where you're going to take us. And I'm assuming that you have an outline or some points that we're going to follow. Can you help us along with where we're going to go today?
1: So I thought we might start out with the basics of energy for space. Uh, and uh, within that broad topic, uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, what are the primary options for energy, what do we know, and and uh, and uh, what do we use, and uh, then where are we now uh, vis-a-vis energy in space. And then once we've talked about those basics, uh, I thought we might talk about uh, energy for three uh, related but substantially different purposes. Uh, Energy for the exploration of our solar system, energy for the development and the settlement of the solar system, uh, and energy delivered from space for Earth. And if we get through all of that, uh, which is tough to do in an hour, but if we do, uh, at the very end I thought it might be fun to talk just a little bit about the the sort of the ultimate uh, semi-infinite energy challenge for space, uh, which is uh, going interstellar.
0: Ah. I wonder what they'll say uh, hundreds of years from now when they look back and or they listen back to the commentary that we've made today and they go, oh my God, they got it so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> okay, so let's start with the first one, basics of energy for space. What are we talking about here?
1: So uh, one thing you didn't mention about my bio is that I am a physicist. And so it's ah. always good to start any discussion of, of an engineering subject, uh, or any technological subject for that matter, uh, with, a, with a point about physics. And okay. uh, the, the central idea that I'd like to mention is the second law of thermodynamics. And this was actually empirically developed, not, not theoretically. Uh, through the invention and the study of uh, heat engines, steam engines, back in the um, 1700s and the 1800s. And the second law, of thermodynamics, which is fundamental to using energy in nature to do work, which is kind of the whole point of, 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 uh, of having energy and using it as power, uh, is that you have to go from a state of higher energy to a state of lower energy. So this is like going from a, a hot steam engine to the cold air. And, uh, or, and as you or going from a hot in, uh, chamber in an internal combustion uh, engine to the cold air around that engine. And as you go from high temperature to low temperature, if you've designed your uh, system properly, you can extract work and turn some of that energy, which is moving from higher to lower, uh, more ordered to less ordered, um, from, uh, uh, from a highly ordered state down to a, a less ordered state, you can do work, you can turn it into power. And this is, this is a fundamental uh, concept whenever you talk about energy. So it, just as an example, uh, people talk about, oh, I'm going to do all this stuff with, you know, the energy that's, um, that's there in the vacuum, or I'm going to do this work with all this energy that's in this uh, pool of water because I know the pool of water has a lot of energy in it. Well, it might, and the vacuum has energy, but unless you've got some place for the energy to, to basically, the, from a higher-ordered, more-ordered state to a lower-ordered state, for the energy to, be, to move, to flow, like water flows over a dam from high to low, and you can turn a turbine while it's flowing from high to low, and that does work, and it turns it into power and drives uh, factories and so on. Uh, unless you can do that, just the fact that there's all this energy does you no good at all.
0: So, so when I'm thinking, you, you use, the, you use the, a dam or a, a turbine. Mm-hmm. So would the same analogy be that we have water at the top of the pool of uh, top of a pool and it flows over a dam and flows down to a lower state exactly and that energy is okay and Just that's, making sure. that's how
1: you get work out of it it's, so in that case the, the water at the higher altitude has potential energy which yep. has been added to the water by you know the effects of sunlights and sunlight and evaporation in clouds and so on and rain and as it flows down and, and from a higher altitude to a lower altitude, if you're clever, you can use it to do work. Cool. Okay. okay. So that's a fundamental. And so whenever you look yeah. at you know energy for space, that's sort of the, 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 um, the, the, the starting point for anything. So then the, the second part of the foundations, the, the basics that I thought we might talk about, is sort of what, are the, what are the fundamental options that we have for power? and for for energy what are what are our sources of energy now uh, as i'm sure everyone uh, knows you i'm sure you know well david that historically our fundamental sources of energy things that we used to do work were living organisms ourselves and horses and oxes and so on and also the chemical energy stored in wood initially uh and then subsequently in um uh, fossil fuels like um, coal and oil and so on. Uh, and as an, as an intermediate or as an alternate source, we have mechanical energy, like the potential energy in the water that we were talking about a moment ago, and the fact that the water flows, that's a mechanical movement, and we can do work and draw power from that energy flow mechanically. So we've got living, we've got chemical, we've got mechanical, we've got thermal, and then in the last 80 years uh, along came first nuclear and then finally solar. And of course solar is the, is the fundamental source for, um, uh, for all of the living uh, organisms on the, on the planet. And so basically those six options are it. And if you look out uh, into space, uh, you, you have the option that living energy is useful tactically. I mean, you, people can do things, but it's not really very tractable, not very useful for the larger scale. Um, make, there's not much in the way of mechanical energy, although people talk about windmills on Mars. Um, but it's, uh, there's not much air on Mars, so the um, uh, force of the wind is really minimal. There might be some deep geothermal energy on Mars, but it's really poor, and the difference in temperature between below the Mars surface and on the Mars surface is fairly poor, it's fairly close. It's not very very much different, so it's not really a very good source of power, according to the second law of thermodynamics. And you can take chemical energy with you, things like stored fuel in your rocket tanks. Um, Other than those, you're pretty much confined for doing anything ambitious in space to either solar, because we have access to the sun, sun shines all the time, it's a wonderful source of energy, or nuclear if you need power in places where the sun does not shine. Okay. So those are the 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 basics and those are the the available options (laughs) and sources
0: and so on. So there the chemical you're saying we don't have and you're saying that because on other planets or in other uh areas of space there are no other chemical conditions
1: well uh for example on on the moon there's really um all of the all of the oxygen is bound up with the soil or is trapped in uh, ices or hydrated minerals there is no free oxygen, there is no atmosphere. And it's all minerals, there, is no, there are no um, uh, materials that we could use to, for example, to burn. Similarly on okay. Mars, the atmosphere is carbon dioxide, and that's the product of combustion. So there's no, there's no free oxygen in the atmosphere at Mars that we could burn with something if we brought the something with us. So um, that, that's why for chemical energy, we can use chemical energy, but only if we bring everything with us like we do in the with the fuel, the um, oxidizer and the propellant in the tank of a rocket ship.
0: So, so with our, and I, I, I hate to sound so human, with our knowledge of what we see in the universe, our ability to understand and comprehend as of this point, we find that there are six. There may be others we just don't feel, see, sense, with with the human capacity
1: well there's another there there is another one of which we're aware and that's of course uh... there's an aspect of the mechanical energy which is um... uh... gravitational energy there are gravitational waves in the universe that come from stupendous events off in the distant past um... but they're so tiny um... that it's like a a puff of wind on jupiter You, you it may be there and it may be amazing out at jupiter but it's not going to do much to, to, to wave the the to make the leaves move on the tree in your yard.
0: I guess what I'm saying is a little bit more pushing uh, into the sense uh, to the scope of if we were to go back a, a thousand years or two, mm-hmm. the word nuclear would not have been a a word that's used in terms of understanding what types of uh, energy there are in space and, and the capacity that we have. So. I'm just I'm I'm kind of pushing saying, well maybe in the future there will be one that we have not found yet.
1: It's it's conceivable, but it would require a a fundamentally new understanding of of physics.
0: And I'm I'm not, not saying that not they're going to look back. Yeah, they're not going to look back and say, you know, John, John was in the wrong camp. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so okay, I got it You've, we've got six potentially for seven the gravitational waves again uh, and there's and I guess our minds have to think are there possibilities in the universe for us to be able to, to change how we view uh, this maybe one day in the future okay yep. so what, what do we do with this
1: so, so then the question is uh, sort of moving on to the, to the, to the broader topic of, of powering space um, the, the next question is, is basically where are we in all of this so we, we have these uh, uh, six major types of energy. Uh, two of them have only become uh, accessible for uh, powering human activities in the, last, um, uh, in the last lifetime, in the last 60 or 70 years. Um, the others were available earlier. I mean, obviously, uh, um, chemical, thermal, um, horses, um, dams, and, and flowing water. Those, those first four, those are all things that the Romans knew. Um, but so, so the question then is, well, so where are we on energy for uh, space activities? And I thought I might just um, uh, sketch for you where things stand with regard to energy for space. Okay. So to do that, I wanted to start with uh, sort of where are things here on Earth and then move out into space. And um, the the, uh, the the nice thing is that, of course, uh, energy use on Earth is stupendously huge. Uh, a, a typical power plant might be anywhere from a, um, and I'm going to uh, use a unit called kilowatts. I'm trying to try to stay with kilowatts or megawatts. Um, okay. A typical light bulb in your house, if it was an incandescent bulb, which is becoming less frequent these days, might use um, Uh, 100 watts of electricity. A kilowatt would be 10 such light bulbs. A kilowatt hour would be 10 of those light bulbs for operating for a full hour. Uh, A typical home uh, in the United States consumes between 2 and 3 kilowatts, so 20 or 30 100-watt light bulbs constantly. That's obviously not the... It's not always at the same levels. So, you know, you turn on the dishwasher, there's more. You turn off the lights, there's less, and so on. But in in terrestrial power systems, um, we in the United States tend to consume between two and three kilowatts of power more or less constantly. And we're able to do that because there are literally hundreds of power plants around the country between 100,000 kilowatts, i.e. 100 megawatts, and uh, 1,000 megawatts, i.e. A, a million kilowatts, or a, a what's called a gigawatt, meaning a billion watts. And uh, this power, which comes from these power plants, um, we purchase... Uh, Wholesale, or rather, the, your your local power provider. I use a company called PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric. Uh, there's also Southern California Edison in California. Um, back in the southeast of the U.S., there's the Southern Company. So these companies buy power or make generate power and they have it wholesale. The wholesale price of all this energy, all this power, rather, is um, uh, between sorry energy. Five and twenty cents per kilowatt hour, and then and then you buy it retail from your from your local company. Okay. So you might pay uh, fifteen or or thirty cents a kilowatt hour, retail, and it's being generated for five or ten or twenty cents a kilowatt hour, depending on the one which of those four sources it's coming from. So that's okay. where we are on Earth.
0: Okay. And it doesn't matter what type of plant it is, whether it's uh, nuclear, it's uh, solar, it's thermal. We're still looking at 15 to 20 cents per kilowatt hour, at least in the U.S.
1: Nuclear is a little more expensive. Um, Solar used to be more expensive yet, but in the last five or six years, it's gotten to be cheaper. Uh, natural gas has gotten to be cheaper in the last few years because of uh, hydraulic uh, fracturing, uh, fracking, uh, because gas is abundant right now. But in general, it's it's but the the wholesale price is between five and twenty cents kilowatt hour.
0: Okay. Regardless, and
1: and if, if sources can't can deliver power in those in that at the wholesale price range, they don't stay operating. They take them offline. Okay. So kind of it. it's kind of regardless of the technology. So now I want to come to space. So for um, the, we all use and rely on things like the GPS satellites and the um, uh, communication satellites. And a typical communication satellite might uh, have on board about 10 kilowatts of solar power. So about as much as three homes. So if you're in a neighborhood with three homes and you you know you look at the three homes, those three homes uh, use as much power as that communication satellite or as a GPS satellite. GPS satellite's actually a little smaller. And the interesting thing is the price of that energy on that satellite is 100 times higher than the price of energy in your home. So it's somewhere around, 10 and, and
0: just for just for visual, what you're telling me is that we're we're looking at one of the older style big satellites, not the cube sats, the smaller stats that we're seeing today. These are that's the, right. This Things is that like a, like we,
1: Direct TV or Sirius Radio, yeah. those satellites that provide those uh, large scale services. Uh, they, they 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 provide the 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 channels for uh, for uh, uplinking and downlinking uh, uh, broadband TV signals, etc.
0: Okay. Yep, got it.
1: So, those satellites are, are are They're using power, and the price of the power is between ten and twenty dollars per kilowatt hour, rather than ten or twenty cents. So it costs a hundred times more.
0: I don't know. There's, there's, uh, someone should have solved this. What were you doing while you were at NASA? Didn't you figure this out? Well, I did when solve it. Down? That's
1: that's what we're talking about. I'm I'm coming <laughs> okay. around to that. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I did solve this. Um, Now, the biggest power system in space is the International Space Station. And it has about 100 kilowatts. So it has as much as about uh, 30 or 50 homes, so as much as a whole little neighborhood. But the cost of the electricity on the International Space Station is about $100 per kilowatt hour. So it's five times more than these communication satellites. Hmm. Okay. Now we move, move out a little further and let's talk about like a Mars rover, like uh, the Curiosity rover, uh, or one of those Mars rovers that has the uh, nuclear uh, isotope power supplies, although the, the solar ones are, are actually almost the same. Now they're much smaller. They only have about one kilowatt. So it's not even as much power as your... As your um, about as much power as a microwave oven drives the uh, the most recent Mars, NASA Mars rover. But the cost of that electricity is $500 a kilowatt hour. So it's, the price of electricity on Mars right now is 10,000 times higher than the price of electricity in your house. Wow. And if you don't Solve that problem, you don't work that problem early, then all the ambitious things that we talk about doing in space never happen.
0: Okay. But fortunately I... the
1: problem is solvable.
0: I'm 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 waiting with beta with my breath held. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the answer.
1: <laughs> so, so um now we so that sort of that sort of finishes the basics so that's you know what's the fundamentals in the physics what are the basic options and where are we right now so um, if we look at if we look at for example uh, the uh, the energy that's needed for um, uh, and I should I should go ahead and just say you know up front i am a tremendous proponent of using solar energy for almost all of our energy needs, whether it's exploration or development or settlement, uh, across the um, the inner solar system, so out out past Mars to the to the main belt asteroids, and okay. the reason that I'm a, a a tremendous proponent of that is because the energy is free. Right. Basically, you know, it's uh, being tr- emitted by the sun constantly. Um, uh, just to give you a, a sense for it, so the sun. Uh, on every square meter of the sun's surface, produces uh, almost, not quite, but almost um, 100 um, million watts. So uh, 100,000 kilowatts or 100 megawatts per square meter.
0: Okay. So if you think of that
1: light bulb, we're talking 100, 100, 100 watt light bulb. Imagine 1 million of those light bulbs packed into a 1 square meter area in your ceiling and you turn it on and you incinerate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are supposed to use uh, uh, like a remote switch. Yeah,
1: yeah okay, So <laughs> Exactly. So so there's a huge amount of energy being pre- and it's going to con- it's been going on for billions of years, it's going to continue And there are for many and there are years. many
0: stars. Yeah. So th- there are out there sequence star
1: everywhere. the energy is there. The question is getting our hands in it now. Now, when we get to the Earth, uh, the, to the um, the distance of the Sun from the Earth and the of the Earth and the Moon, um, that that uh, it's not it's not it's about 60, 60 million um, watts. So this, okay. this, that 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 uh, sixty million watts, sixty megawatts, is that because it's a, now a much larger area. The sixth that is down to around fourteen hundred watts. So a little more than a, than a, than one kilowatt per square meter, just passing by. And by using photovoltaics and so on, we reach out and we use that, which is what we use on the communication satellites or Cube or the International Space Station. And the and the uh, the question kind of goes to how do we how do we use it and what are the um, uh, basically, what are the architectures for the systems that we use to to um, to get at that energy and uh, the the um, the solution that that well the reason the reason why solar has gotten so cheap now is uh, because we mass produce it if you look at the uh, the the uh, the solar panels on a communication satellite you look at the the nuclear battery on the, uh, the the Mars rover. You look at the solar arrays on the International Space Station. All of those are um, they're like 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 huge, delicate. In the case of the nuclear battery, dangerous. Um, Swiss watches. They're they're manufactured very very carefully. Uh, they're designed especially for each application. Uh, guys in you know surgical gear and masks and, and clean rooms have to put them together very delicately and that's why they cost so much and the reason why solar energy has gotten so cheap on earth is because the solar panels are modular and they are mass produced they're manufactured by their, by their millions now uh, unfortunately mostly in China but uh, China was very visionary in, in getting out in front on building manufacturing capability the um, U.S. was doing a very good job on research, but uh, was not um, investing as much money as it should have into the manufacturing capability.
0: And they just, I wouldn't even say doubled down, they 100 times down on They 100 uh, times green. down,
1: exactly. So
0: and, and, so
1: the, uh, and so the basic, the basic solution, whether it's energy for exploration or development and settlement of space uh, or, or for space solar power to be delivered to Earth, is to find ways to break the um, space solar power system, not ground solar, it's space solar, up into modular elements and manufacture millions of them. Uh, and if we do that, and then of course, eventually we'd like to be able to manufacture them using increasingly uh, materials and pieces that come from other places in the solar system, like the moon. Uh, or like uh, the moons of Mars, or wherever have, wherever the, the materials might come from, uh, but and, but even if we used lunar materials, but we don't um, have modular systems that are mass produced, the power would still cost a fortune. So, so this is
0: your so I, I, as you know, I'm calling you from Hong Kong right now. Yeah the <clears throat> the first thing that runs through my mind is that not only does the uh, Asia-Pacific region, not only China, but the Asia-Pacific region is investing heavily in these technologies, have a global advantage because they are already learning the skills to mass-produce uh, for Earth use. They are potentially also in a better position for mass-scaling for space-based use. Potentially. Okay. Potentially. Potentially.
1: Although the, the dilemma the dilemma with um, uh, a dilemma with solar power is um, and of course solar power in space is that you don't have um, convenient power lines. So the another aspect of this uh, this overall um, story is uh, so on Earth you know you build an enormous plant out in the uh, in the California desert and you have power lines and power substations, and you take that power from Ivanpah uh, to San Francisco and use it to run factories and run Google and run server farms and so on. In space, you don't have that. And so uh, the other aspect of this is, and and because the sun uh, is relatively low intensity, as we were talking about, at Earth's orbit, it's like uh, 1,400 watts per square meter at the orbit of Mars, it's 600 watts per square meter because, again, it's getting farther away from the sun. So the farther away you get from the sun, the, the less intense the sunlight becomes, going down from the 60 megawatts per square meter that it started at on the sun's surface. And you've got to have a big area to capture that sunlight and turn it into electricity. But then you want to get that electricity from where you've done the conversion to where you've got your settlement or where you've got your mining uh, 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 operation or where you've got your fuel refinery or whatever it is you're doing with the, with the power.
0: So, the, let me and, just, just in, uh, for a, an understanding for Earth, moon and Earth environment, mm-hmm. the moon and Earth, because they're next to each other, we, we can use the same figures that are on Earth as we can on the moon? Or is it because of the lack of atmosphere that uh, those use, numbers would be different? The same,
1: you can almost use the same figures, not quite. The Earth, on the surface of the Earth, it's a little lower because of atmosphere and weather. Right. When the weather is overcast, obviously, you don't get any sunlight. On both the moon and Earth, you've got to deal with nighttime. On the Earth, it's 12 hours long on average. On the moon, it's 14 days long on average. But generally speaking, you're working with the same figures of merit. Okay. So, All right. the The punchline is, you've got these big solar collectors, whether they're they're um, a certain size for the Earth-Moon from Earth that vicinity, or a larger size for the Mars part of of um, of Mirth. Uh, you send the power from where you've generated the. Converted solar energy into electrical power, you send that power to where you want it to be, whether it's a settlement or a factory or a refinery or mining operation, uh, using wireless power transmission, power beaming. And that's the Which second we, half of, I, the, the, of the, uh, okay. the story.
0: <clears throat> now, just uh, it comes off the top of my head, so I'm going to ask it. Is there a difference between conductive and wireless? When people say, "Well, my phone is con," you know, I have conductive electricity for my phone, and there's a power transfer that way. Is uh, wireless and conductive close, similar? Do they operate differently?
1: So, um, power beaming and uh, magnetic uh, inductive coupling, or uh, resonant coupling, which is what they're now putting out into Starbucks. So you put your phone on a pad, and you get wirelessly charged. Yep. Th- those are both two, com- they're very different approaches to, the, to what's called wireless energy. And uh, wireless, so you've got wireless energy by putting your phone on this pad with the circle on it at the, at the table at your local coffee shop. But if you pick your phone up, it's no longer getting any power. Because the range for magnetic inductive coupling is about a half a centimeter.
0: Okay, so so what you're saying is the difference is we're actually we're actually talking about what we've talked about for the last fifty years is that we can beam power to wherever we need it as a distributed localized uh, receptor. So the the military's dreamed of this for years because energy is one of the biggest challenges for a military is getting energy to its its sources. Is you beam it to each. Soldier, you beam it to the tank. You beam it to whatever tools that they've had. So is this and what we're talking about?
1: Well, it's not. It's not quite as easy as that because the beaming is. It's a. It's a little larger scale. It's like a. Think of power beaming a little bit like a rain cloud. I. I mean, I. Okay. I can make the rain cloud. I can make the energy flow. You know, by for over thousands of kilometers, but I really can't make the raindrops hit only one soldier, one plant,
0: uh, one tree. Okay. I got to hit the whole area, so you blanket it,
1: but not too big. I mean, I mean, you get a you get a cloud burst; it's on one particular area. Yeah. So I'm going to beam power. I'm going to beam it to a particular area on Mars or on the Moon or wherever, but I can't really send it too precisely. Now, if I do send it really, really precisely, I'm probably doing it with lasers. Okay. Yeah. And the other downside, but the other problem with lasers is, what if I miss?
0: a little girl next to him, right? <laughs> I,
1: I, so I, but with with uh, with microwaves, and I I prefer microwaves. I, I'm I'm clearly biased by my by my knowledge. Um, yeah. Microwaves are relatively low intensity. So, uh, if if you uh, if you uh, put your hand near a hot tea kettle. I mean, you can feel, the, and you don't touch it, of course. But I mean, you, you can yeah. you can feel the heat radiating off of it. Ch-
0: children don't do this at home. It's just an experiment, right? Yes,
1: it's just an example, <laughs> just an illustration. Um, yeah. it, put your put your uh, put your hand near a, um, a warm slice of apple pie that's just come out of the oven. You can feel the warmth. That's radiant heat, and microwave energy is about the same, as long as it's not. Uh, um, confined in a narrow box like in a microwave oven you've got very high intensity because it's confined in there and it bounces around Yep. but if it's uh if it's uh transmitted from one spot to another the intensity is much lower okay so it's a little 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 bit like little like the warmth you might get off of that uh slice of apple pie that just came out of the oven not so bad but of course the pie will cool off quickly so don't let it sit
0: So, so we're moving to – so wireless power is your uh, – wireless energy, uh, wireless p- power transmission is where you're, you're putting down your cards.
1: Exactly, and in combination with solar. So you have solar, you make it modular and mass-produced to make it cheap, and you couple it with modular and mass-produced wireless power beaming over long distances, and those things together, leveraging the, the sunlight that is delivered uh, continuously throughout the inner solar system, that's how you have the, the literally thousands of megawatts that are needed to develop space and to settle space.
0: Do we have something that can do this?
1: So we we have uh, all the technologies. A lot of the technologies have been developed. Uh, there are uh, system concepts. the The wireless, the power beaming part of it actually was demonstrated by a brilliant man by the name of Bill Brown uh, uh, on the Walter Cronkite News Hour back in the mid-1960s for the first time. He he had developed it separately. He worked for the Raytheon Company. And a a gentleman by the name of uh, Peter Glazer, both of these gentlemen are no longer with us, but a gentleman by the name of Peter Glazer took that idea and turned it into what's called the Solar Power Satellite which is basically this integrated thing that I'm talking about. Um, Although back in the day when he invented it, he was thinking of it as a very, very huge version of a traditional communications satellite, like the ones we were discussing earlier. And so it would be huge, but it wouldn't be cheap. So you'd have a very, very large amount of power, but that large amount of power would be costing you $10 a kilowatt hour, $20 a kilowatt hour, or $100 a kilowatt hour. Um, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a very effective solution to the problem that we're trying to solve, which is having enough energy, enough power to, um, um, to do everything that we want to do in space. So the concepts are there. And uh, you had mentioned earlier uh, CubeSats. Um, there's a particular concept that I've been working on for some kind, time uh, called uh, SPS-alpha. Which is solar powered satellite by means of arbitrarily large phased array. I used to work for NASA, so of course I love acronyms.
0: Yeah, I was going to say you just lost me with the letters, okay?
1: (laughs) But just, just stay with SPS Alpha.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No,
1: no, no. But anyway, it's a solar powered satellite. Is solar power satellites go back for some time? This idea of doing it out of modular pieces is is uh, relatively new. Just the last uh, six or seven years or so. Uh, and um, the pieces out of which you make this solar-powered satellite um, are about the same scale as CubeSats. It's just a really large number of
0: CubeSats. So so just as I told you at times when there's some clarity that's necessary, we're talking about mm-hmm. a CubeSat which is 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters in size. And a CubeSat satellite might have four of those block sizes, uh, and you could hold one in your hand. And instead of seeing a satellite that's the size of a a truck, you're now seeing or holding a satellite of today's time. So the term CubeSat is a, a much smaller version. And the way you just described it, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking the Borg? You've added all. Um, you know,
1: well, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be a cube, though, because a cube is a terrible way to collect solar energy. It'd be more like a sheet, or like a, okay. more like a a a, a planar disc, and,
0: okay, then, with so the, with and the, then with some
1: associated stuff on it.
0: Okay, got it.
1: So, but if you if you, um, for example, think about the think about the um, the architectural difference between a um, let's say a whale. And a section of a coral reef. Now, coral reef is also an animal, and the the reef itself comprises the the uh, the skeletons of many, many, many billions of of uh, of of corals, coral reef, corals, coral animals, coral animals. Um, but they can be the same mass, same size. But whereas a whale is a single thing, single uh, system, the coral reef comprises maybe dozens of species and literally millions of individual living things. Well, traditional satellites like the communication satellite or like the plans that we've had for um, uh, uh, space habitats and so on, or even the International Space Station, those are single large systems. Now, the the space station was put together up in orbit but it was designed as a single block. Its software was all written at once and so on. Um, these very modular systems to harvest sunlight and send it wirelessly to where you need it, um, they're much more like coral reefs. So there are many, many tens of thousands of individual cubesat sized pieces assembled simply to collect sunlight and Convert it into electricity, and send it to where you want it. And if you think that sounds really, really complicated and hard to imagine, well, think about um, Tinker Toys or Legos. I'll use the brand names because they're easier. And think about dumping out a whole box of Lego blocks, but now instead of being Lego blocks, they're CubeSats. And then say, well, how hard is it going to be to take all my Legos and put them together into a building, or put them together into an aircraft, airplane, a model of, not a real thing. And, of course, kids do that all over the country, all over the world. Uh, You use Tinker Toys to put together windmills, you put together bridges, and you're doing it out of a handful of, or a, a very fairly finite selection of generalized pieces that you plug together, simply, to make whatever object it is that you're trying to make.
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you're breaking it down into component pieces and giving people options on how they would like to configure them and use them based upon the environment or the desired outcomes they wish to achieve.
1: And how much power they ultimately want. And this allows <coughs> me not to work, not to build these systems in enormous surgical operating theaters, clean rooms where we make them today, but rather to mass produce them the way that mobile phones are mass produced.
0: I guess uh, that I can understand what I'm trying to get my mind around is (laughs) if you can see my hands are actually in the air. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Is I'm trying to figure out how the energy, what's the technology for the, uh, the energy wireless power, uh, transmission. What, what allows on the, the sender side and what's Mm -hmm. on the receiver side that allows that to work?
1: So, um, if you think for a moment about the, the there's a there's a small radio transmitter in every wireless router um, in the world, whether it's inside yeah. your computer or it's in the closet. It's the wireless la- router for your home and so on. And these wireless routers operate uh, at roughly a couple of what's called uh, the frequency is a couple of gigahertz. So. The wavelength of radio energy that they transmit and receive is about um, uh, 12 centimeters or about four inches long, Okay. Four, four to five, five inches long, about five inches long. So you hold your fingers up and the, the tips of your fingers are five inches apart, thumb and forefinger, That's about how long the wave of radio energy is that's coming out, probably coming out of your wireless router. Of course, there are other routers that are a little bit higher frequency, but just stay for a moment with 2.45 gigahertz. Those electronics that do that are almost exactly the same as the electronics that you would use for power beaming, except they're only configured in one little box to send out a signal more or less unidirectionally, i.e. in a constant power in all directions from wherever the transmitter is.
0: Okay, now, so, so we really do. We really do have the technology for we wireless really do power have transmission, the technology.
1: and if so you, that, that's if what you, I was
0: trying to get to, is yep. okay.
1: If you combine so it, a thousand of those, and they're all sending out their signal randomly, then you're going to get a great deal of, of white noise, just like a uh, an orchestra all playing without the conductor and without synchronizing, and it's just meh, it's a lot of noise. But if you get them all in synchronize, you all synchronize them, and they're all basically playing at the right moment, emitting their, their radio signal at the right moment at, in, uh, in the right, what's called, phase, then the waves from all of those 1,000 transmitters is uh, combined coherently, and you get uh, resonance, sort of like a, uh, when the orchestra, the, the conductor goes tap, 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 and they start playing together rather than rather than uh, dissonantly, and all of instead a sudden instead of warming, you get instead of warming
0: up instead of warming up they go right into the music. So it, exactly. it, it comes together. Okay,
1: you, you start getting uh, what you start getting harmonies. You start it, and it's and you get a lot of uh, of uh, power in the combination of the uh, notes coming from all the different instruments. So which you can also uh,
0: you can you can equate that to uh, the orchestra just playing and warming up. And then when they all hit bang, you actually feel it through the air vibrations in your body. It's true. Because it's one sound combined into one phase, one resonance, one harmony, whatever that sound may be. And you feel that vibration. The other way, you just hear it. Is yep. that a good and way to analyze it? And with
1: brass, brass instruments. Because brass instruments have a, uh, a uh, they've got the, like a horn. They've got this one preferred direction for all the so- sound to come out.
0: Oh, Yeah. And yes. if you're
1: standing in front of a thousand horns and they all play together, you know it
0: yep okay
1: so the the component level technologies for doing the power beaming over long distances are very well established um as i said that and a lot of them all came from um uh work on radar back during world war two so these are these are not new uh not new physics, not new engineering uh, it's just a new way of using these um uh, these basic technologies
0: cool, I like it all right, so what do we what do so that's the that's the solution to the challenge of having the energy where we need it
1: and having it at a price that is comparable to terrestrial prices so we can actually do all of these ambitious things that we'd like to be able to do so is that
0: the development part is that we saying is that what we need to do is is ramp up, do,
1: so why thought, are we there? I, so I thought now, the the so in terms of these different things that we might do with this energy um, out in space, I thought I might just walk you through, if we can do it for a, a couple of minutes, how yep. much energy it actually takes to do different things we care about. Sure. So fundamentally, the sort of the the, the, the basic requirement for Doing anything in space is getting to space. And if you you want to launch something from Earth to orbit, it's a great big production. It's very high power density because you have to get through the atmosphere quite quickly and these huge rockets and so on. But if you look at the energy that's required, it's actually not very much energy. Uh, To get one kilogram, which is about two and a quarter pounds, from Earth to low Earth orbit, is about 20 kilowatt hours, roughly, of energy. And so that would be if you had a a neighborhood of of, uh, six homes and they all had three kilowatts in them and you turned on all the power in those six homes for an hour, turn on the lights, turn on the microwave, turn on the oven, turn on the dishwasher, you could send a kilogram to orbit. That's how much energy it takes to do that. So the basic amount of energy that we need to go from place to place whether it's with chemical or once you're in space, whether it's with electric propulsion, the amount of power that you need is on the order of uh, kilowatts or tens of kilowatts per kilogram, a kilo, few kilowatts, 10 kilowatts per pound. And, um, and then you need it for whatever length of time it is that you, wanna, that you need to, um, to apply the power to get it up to a certain speed. So fundamentalist okay. transportation. Second is life support. So first is get from here to there. Second is to stay alive while you're there, while you're, while you're going and coming and while you're there. And it actually takes, in terms of power, roughly 10 to 20 kilowatts per person to run life support systems, lights, computers, all of the, all of the things that, see we use two or three kilowatts per, per, per household which is about one kilowatt per person, but we get everything for free. We get the water out of the tap. We get the, you know, the, the air comes from outside. We don't have to make any or refresh any of those things. In space, you have to have um, life support systems. You have to have artificial lighting. You have to have all those things. So that works out to be roughly 100,000 kilowatt hours per year per person. So about ten or twenty kilowatt hours per kilogram. So per person, let's say a person weighs a hundred kilograms. If they weigh a hundred kilograms, they're probably not uh, an astronaut. But nevertheless,
0: right,
1: it, it makes the math easier.
0: Well, I, kilogram, I'm ninety-six, so I guess I'm not an astronaut. No, I'm not 96 no, but kilos. that's
1: okay. That's okay. Me too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so you know, a hundred kilogram person is going to take uh, something like. Um, uh, 2,000 or kilowatt hours or 2 megawatt hours to get them up into space. It's going to take 100,000 kilowatt hours per year for that person to live in space as long as they bring everything with them. They bring you know, all, the, all their, the, the tools, the spare parts, the food, the water, but they, but they have re- some recycling, basically space station level technology. Now, if you want to start making stuff in space, like we're going to do production, we're going to do fabrication, we're going to build cities, we're going to do all those things out in space. Well, it's going to take it takes somewhere between ten and twenty um, uh, kilowatt hours per kilogram to make most of the things that we use every day. So ten kilowatt hours per kilogram for glass, uh, starting with with with, uh, um, so, with sand. Uh, 15 kilowatt-hours per kilogram for uh, steel, starting with, you know, iron ore. 25 kilowatt-hours per kilogram for plastic, starting with raw hydrocarbons from the ground. Uh, Aluminum's a lot worse. Aircraft aluminum that we take for granted takes 80 kilowatt-hours per kilogram. So uh, it takes uh, four times more energy to make a, a kilogram of aluminum than it takes to put that kilogram of aluminum into Earth orbit. Um, now, electronics uh, uh, electronics grade silicon takes about uh, 2 megawatt hours, 2,000 kilowatt hours per kilogram to make. So when we get to the point of actually making electronics on the moon or making electronics on Mars rather than importing them from Earth, we're going to need a lot of power. Uh, a, good, a good rule of thumb to make an automobile, a typical small four-door automobile, uh, takes about 10 thousand kilowatt hours to make in terms of its energy use okay so that all sounds that all sounds like uh you know we're getting to the point where it takes 20 kilograms to get off the ground um or 20 kilowatt hours per kilogram to get off the ground and so on and so on but when you want to settle now you want to settle you'd like to you'd like to go to the moon you'd like to build a city on mars well to a city on mars you've got to have agriculture You've got to be able to grow food. You've got to be able to have children. You've got to be able to um, basically recycle your, all your waste products because you're not bringing it from Earth anymore. It's a settlement. Um, in um, the Midwest... That's, the
0: why United, we're, that's why we're focused on, on the moon first.
1: It, well, the moon is, is, is closer, but you've still got to have the power.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So for agriculture, let's, let's say you're talking about the Midwest. Uh, and I think we're getting close to the end of our time, so I'll try to press through this. For agriculture, like in Indiana, like in Ohio, um, you have on average 12 hours a day over the course of 12 months about 600 or 800 watts per square meter from the sunlight that's making it through the atmosphere, not taking into account weather, and it takes about 4,000 square meters. It's about one, what's called, it's a, in a, if you're a farming guy, I'm on a, I live on a ranch, it's one acre. One acre, of, one acre of land per person to grow all the food that you're going to want, that you need to live on for a year. And if you multiply 800 watts times 4,000 meters squared, it's 26 million. Uh, Watt hours, so 26,000, sorry, let me make sure I've got this right. It's uh, 800 times 4 is uh, 3,200 times 1,000, sorry, I want to make sure I got this right, 3.2. It's 3 million, sorry, it's 3 megawatt hours, 3 million kilowatt hours per capita. I did this earlier today because I wanted to share it with you. And, of course, now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, wait a minute, did I get that number wrong?
0: Well, good thing we're still on Earth.
1: <laughs> it's a good thing we're still... Well, no, I'd be okay. i just quickly whip out my iPhone, which is what I've done, and I'm double-checking. Well, actually,
0: you, you came up with 26 million, so we can actually... We'd be better off because we had accounted for more.
1: Yeah, that's true. So, it's 30... Times... Oh, oh, it's... uh, It's... Uh, thir- Sorry, it's uh, 3 million watts. So it's 32 kilowatts. Oh, I forgot to multiply. That's that's why I had the problem. I forgot to multiply 365 days and 24 hours a day. So 26 million kilowatt hours per year per person. So if you were going to have a person who is living out in space, uh, they need something like a 3 megawatt power plant equivalent of energy. Now, we're fortunate... And that the sun is right there, so I mean we can use we can put windows in our in our habitat if we can we have to solve the radiation problem but the reason why why um, windows are so appealing and why uh, uh, Jerry O'Neill used them in his big space cylinders was because you need a vast amount of sunlight to grow food for all these people who are living in your city in space mm-hmm so this is sort of the gold standard. None of, none, no settlements are going to have... I didn't, I didn't do the numbers for mining and so on because that's just more more of the same, but the basic answer is to do these things, to go to space, to live there, to make stuff that's useful, and eventually to grow food and live there permanently is going to take a vast amount of cheap power.
0: So let's... Uh, because we do have to wind down shortly, I, what is your biggest... Um. And the biggest is not the word. What's the number one argument against the approach that you're taking? It's
1: not the way we do it now. We hear it all the time. Power is just too expensive in space. We and we and it it just can't be cheaper, or it can't be. You can't do it cheaper. Um, anytime soon, which is fascinating to me because we have. Companies that are trying to mine the asteroids. I love that. I was involved with a couple of those. We have individuals who are trying to put cities on Mars. Um, and all of that, as a vision, depends on, I believe, um, large amounts of cheap solar power. There's the, just no other the, way I do not know.
0: Maybe not the, the democratization, but the, the bringing it down to a zero cost or as close as you can so that you can live like we do on Earth.
1: Well, it, except your your power requirements per person are, are a priori going to be three to five times larger than they are oh, on yeah. Earth. So no matter what, you're going to have to have three to five times higher cost per person.
0: So what is their solution?
1: Um, I have not seen one. I, I honestly have not seen any uh, solution for how a city on Mars gets its power or how a large... Um, um, Space system, space habitat, I'll say, is going to get its power. And the flip side, by the way, we talked about the second law of thermodynamics. So, you got energy in, you got to get energy out. You got to get rid of the heat. You can't get rid of waste heat. You're like you're living in a thermos bottle because the space is a vacuum. These systems are going to have enormous radiators.
0: So, if um, because our, our project Moonhouse focuses the moon, does it help us? that we have the proximity to Earth? Well, it does in some cases. We can supply some of our own chemical materials, supplies, so that we can eliminate some of the costs, but not as not as significant as the way you're describing it. Uh, are there any advantages to starting with the Moon as a means because of its proximity?
1: Oh, ap- I think absolutely. Absolutely. By and a factor, and the By a, moon by is a factor practically, of what? Well, the, the Moon is... is is mostly made of the stuff out of which you'd make um, the stuff you, out of which you'd make people, and of which you'd make solar power systems. I mean, the, the moon is mostly made of oxygen and um, calcium and phosphorus and all these trace elements we need. We have a couple of things we don't have on the moon which are important, uh, like carbon. We got to get more. We got to get carbon from someplace. But we got an enormous amounts uh, from uh, of uh, from uh,
0: from asteroids.
1: Uh, asteroids. My actual my actual favorite is uh, Phobos and Deimos because Phobos okay, and yep. Deimos are regularly available from Earth. Uh, you know exactly where they are. They they're conveniently confined in Mars orbit, and they're probably carbonaceous chondrites. Although we don't know absolutely for sure, <laughs> they're carbonaceous chondrites. There's our carbon. Right. And they're only 26, they're, ever, they're available every 26 months. So I think, I think the Earth, Moon, Mars economy, ecosystem, works perfectly with, uh, with the Moon as the place where the people live, and the Mars system being where the carbon comes from.
0: Okay. And then bring, and then bringing it back so that yep. we can use it on the Moon. Well, wow, cool. This is good. This is good. I I wasn't sure, as our pre-conversation was, where this was going to take us. And I I love uh, getting some of the basics uh, necessary to understand the fundamental sources of energy, where they come from, what, what are the tools that we might, or the, the cost factors, the 500 times the cost for the, the rovers and how they're operating. And... Um, my background is sciences organic chemistry physics calculus so some of this brought some of those things back to life uh to light in my own mind so this uh so thank you this is this is great uh any the last word
1: uh just uh if can i put in a plug for my book
0: uh mention your book or, well mention your book and we'll go from there because uh, will you'll be able to use the audio later <laughs> so okay. what's the name I, of your book
1: so the the name of the book is going to be the same as the podcast, Powering Space. At least yeah. that's the plan at the moment. And it uh, ought to be done in about a year or so. And the plan is to talk a lot more about all of these issues and uh, do it in a way that you can uh, hold it down and, and scribble on the pages.
0: Well, I appreciate you being a huge fan, supporter of Project Hut and wanting to contribute to what we're doing to accelerate the space-based economy and, and Earth-based economy so that we can get there faster. As most of the people I know in the, the industry say, I want to get there before I die. So I'm ho- I'm hoping that we can get there before the, the next generation passes on. So thank you very much. Uh, for those of you who don't know, you could go to projectmoonhut.org to sign up, to learn more about us, as well as to be connected to future space-related projects. There's a database that you could sign up for. You can go to uh, Facebook.com forward slash Project and you can keep abreast of what we're going to be adding and what we're doing globally. We have people from every corner of the world. Uh, Just got a notice today that someone from uh, Latvia is going to be doing one of the telecasts. And you can go to Twitter at Project Moonhut. So there are many ways to keep in touch with us and uh, obviously there's other podcasts to listen to. So thank you everybody for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you learned as much as I did and it changed your thinking as to some of the importance of energy and our need to tackle this as we move forward in developing, uh, how to change how we live on earth for all species. So I'm David Goldsmith and thank you for listening.